Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining us tonight on Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here to get you ready for Wild Card Playoff Weekend in the NFL. Bob, happy Thursday, my friend. How are you? Hey, Chris. How is everything down in Hotlanta tonight? <laughs> Things are good getting cold tonight, but I tell you what, everyone's excited because we learned today that if the Bengals and the Bills end up in the AFC Championship, we get to host it right here. So if we can't have one with the Falcons in Atlanta, I guess we're going to be good enough to have the Bills and the Bengals do it right here. So we're rooting for those two teams to make it. Yeah, uh, as we were talking off the air, Chris, that uh, that was quite the event down there. Both of those teams travel so well. Uh, Atlanta, you know, the airport is crazy down there. The traffic is crazy on a regular day, right? So that, that's uh, <laughs> going to be quite a, a, a an event if it happens. And uh, You're right. I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'd love to see that that happen. So I'm I'm not uh, ever really a Bengals fan, but just for the yep. the opportunity to have that game here, I'm rooting for them to get all the way through and face the Bills, and then I'll go over to Bills Bills Mafia root for those yeah. guys to get back. But Bob, the NFL regular season, I can't believe it's over, and I mean four short weeks from now, the whole thing's gonna be over. I mean, at 18 weeks, 17 regular season games. We say it all the time, but my goodness, the NFL season seems to go by in the blink of an eye. It does, Chris. Uh, you know, there's, there's football weekly, uh, you know, baseball season. Well, it seems if, if you're into it, man, it, you can't have enough of it. And I think, you know, with football being basically the national sport, I mean, people can't get enough of it. And with the gambling and everything else, it's just such a staple every weekend. And people just want more and more of it. Uh, I'm just glad we're we're not getting a uh, you know a, a Pro Bowl like we did. In the, uh, <laughs> we don't need that to top off the season, Chris. So uh, that's right. You know, they're making strides in that area. Yeah, and speaking of the national scene, Georgia won their second straight national championship Monday night, and and that kind of leads me to say, have have they surpassed Alabama as the preeminent program in college football? Oh, Chris, I don't know if we could say you know. Uh, I, I think you have to kind of put that over a span of time, you know, I mean, if you look at what a guy like Saban has done, and I mean, he's got six titles in 14 years, Chris. now Georgia's got the last two, and maybe uh, the next 12 years, they're going to probably add four, at, going at this rate, but uh, you'd have to put them one in one A, they're so similar, Chris, because, I mean, I, I was just reading Kirby Smart's record uh, in his first seven seasons. 81 and 15. Saban's was almost identical. I think it was 80 and 15. They're, they're, they're that close. 
Uh, you know Saban at this, at this juncture of his career, Chris, he doesn't really have to stick around. You know what he's sticking around for. He wants to claim that top spot again. And so it's all coming down to the recruits. These teams are one and one A. Put them wherever you want, but it's hard to argue with Georgia at this point going 29 and one over the last two seasons. So, uh, but that's what's keeping, I can guarantee you, that's what's keeping Saban employed right now. What does a 65-7 to blowout loss to Georgia do for TCU's program? I mean, it's hard for me to conceive that they can be viewed even as the number two ranked team in the yeah, country. Yeah. I mean, kudos to them for getting that far, and I get all of that. But 65-7, to Bob, I mean, Vandy would have given Georgia a better game than TCU did. But um, your thoughts, what, what, what do you feel like? What, where does this leave TCU? Oh, man, you know, it was hard to... to coach after the game, you know, he's trying to still say, you know, uh, despite tonight, it was very successful. So it, that must be even hard to just get out, you know, I mean, to say at that point, um, because that was over at halftime. The real losers, Chris, was, was ESPN that night. I mean, everybody was in bed by halftime. That was so bad. Uh, and it leaves some questions up about, you know, the college football championship in general. I think there's, there's people, robotic people out there. You know, Chris, they, if you lose a championship game, you're still going to be ranked number two. Why does that have to be automatic? Are you telling me that Alabama is going to get beat by Georgia 65-7? No, that's not happening, right? I mean, any of these other teams. So, you know, I, I, I just wish these voters would be a little more, I mean, you don't automatically put them number two because they got to the championship game. So th- I think there's still some work there. Uh, but Alabama, the tweets coming out during that game, Chris, Gave, uh, they were saying this gives more proof that Alabama should have been there, but uh, th- that comes down to Georgia and Alabama again, you know. And until somebody uh, wins as many championships as these teams are, you're going to continue talking about them too. But TCU, Chris, it's definitely something to build on. I mean, obviously, it's going to help their recruiting to get that far. But man, uh, I don't know if we'll ever see an embarrassment that much in a championship. And looking ahead, Bob, to this weekend's NFL playoff games, we've learned that Tua has been rolled out again for the Dolphins. Does that leave the only question for Miami heading into that game against Buffalo? If they're going to lose just the same way, are we going to see 65-7 to Bills over Dolphins? <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'll see 65 points, but we may see something close to 50. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there is no way Miami has a chance in this game. You know, without Tua throwing to those weapons. Um, and it's unfortunate. You know, we like to see, you know, a team that got to the playoffs, you know, showing us why they got to the playoffs. And Tua was basically, and, and those wide receivers, but we're not going to be able to see that. Buffalo, I think they're still on a high coming off last week and the whole Hamlin thing, Chris, and they're healthy and they're just, you know, they have their sights set. They're at home. Uh, that's not going to be pretty. So, uh, I don't know if it's 65 to 7, but, uh, I, I would give the point. Just say that. <laughs> and Bob, it looks like Lamar Jackson isn't going to play again this weekend for the Ravens. And we talked about this last week. The Ravens just can't score much when he's not on mm-hmm. the field. Could we see a third blowout game in less than a week when they face the Bengals again for the second time in back-to-back weeks? Kind of crazy. Back-to-back, played same place. You wonder if the Ravens even went home, Chris. But the they have no chance game. I mean, think about it. I mean, they were averaging 25 points with Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. Without him, they're half that. Um, 
So say they score 14 in this game, 17, and are they going to hold Cincinnati down? No. So this is not going to be pretty either. And, and it, that, that, I guess it tells you we're on a, we're on a topic now, how important starting quarterbacks are in this league and why they make the money they do. So yeah, those are going to be, I think, before we start talking with Tony, I think it's going to be ugly game, but so we'll talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes. All right, let's move along to our Unsung Hero of the Week award. Bob, who's a lesser-known player that really impressed you? Well, you know, I got a wild one, Chris. This one, um, it, it's hard to picture an, an unsung hero who's been to seven Pro Bowls. But I got to bring up this guy, and, you, and you'll you'll start laughing when you hear it because you'll know what I'm talking about. It's Kyle Juszczyk of the 49ers. Now, Chris, he's one of those guys we love, right? Fullback um, out of Harvard. Uh, fourth round draft, you know, never got the credit coming out of college, obviously. I mean, it's, it's an Ivy League team, I mean, but he, um, I mean, this is a guy that basically has, he's got 200 yards rushing in his entire career, Chris, in 10 years. So he does not carry the ball. Out of the backfield, I'm, and the reason why I brought him up this week is because he did catch a pass and he's been very good at that over the years. He had a catch, one catch for 26 yards. But he's averaged 10 yards per catch his entire career. You know, never, he's always between 20 and 30 catches. But think about it. I mean, you ask probably just your run of the mill fan out there, you know, who Kyle Juszczyk is. They probably still don't know. Does he play somewhere on the West? You probably don't know, but he does all the dirty work, Chris. Seven Pro Bowls in a row now. He was just named. And, uh, maybe people out there listening are, were aware of that, but I was even in the impression. I know he might have gone to a Pro Bowl. This is seven consecutive. So that tells you what he does blocking and the little things, Chris, and especially out of the backfield catching passes because he never gets the ball to carry. So I just thought that was a cool guy. We have, we have, we got to put a spotlight on that guy because he does not get the credit. And that's, they're the, he's the reason why they are where they are. Yeah, 100%. Good for you for bringing him up. And yeah, I don't know too many people that know the name for a seven time Pro Bowl or everyone you would think would know. Try his to name. spell it, Chris. Try to spell that name. It's not easy. My unsung hero of the week is going to Steelers H-back and tight end Connor Hayward. This is his rookie season, Bob. Many people thought the Steelers just drafted him out of courtesy to his older brother Cam. The guy was a six-round pick. But uh, when Connor gets in there, I'm telling you, Bob, he's shown he's way more than just Cam's little brother. Had a big catch. Uh, a few weeks ago, a touchdown against the, uh, the Falcons and the Steelers 19 to 16 win here in Atlanta. And then last Sunday, three more big catches for 45 yards against the Browns, including a huge third down conversion that allowed the Steelers to get their last touchdown and put that game away. I'm excited about what we've seen from him in the limited amount of time that he's been in the Steelers lineup. Uh, he's going to be a big part, I think, of their offense for the next several years. That's why he's my unsung hero of the week. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? All right, let's get into this week's edition of Bob's Take and Bob, we've already seen a handful of coaches be let go uh, this week. As, you know, they call it Black Monday. We saw a handful of coaches get fired. Have any so far surprised you? The ones that are very recent, Chris, Kingsbury, Lovey Smith, uh, 
could even put Nathaniel Hackett in there. I, I, those really did not surprise me. You know, the one I told you that surprised me at the time was uh, Frank Reich. Uh, I, I still think, you know, that guy, he should land on his feet. I hope the Patriots give him an interview for the corner to say they're doing it now. But, um, I mean, he got off to that three and five start here. Uh, you know, it was 40 and 33 in his, uh, his reign and he had some success there. Unlike some of these other guys, you know, I, as you know, Lovey Smith, guys like that are just coordinators. Um, I put Todd Bowles in that category. A few other guys that you just know they've had their shot. Um, you know, call it fair or not. I mean, Guys, they're just—they—it's a whole different ball game. It's a different job, but uh, they really don't surprise me. Hackett in Denver, Chris, that was not a good situation, uh, man. They really—I mean—he had a four and eleven uh, record, in, especially after that loss to the Rams on uh, Christmas Day. That was awful. And uh, Kingsbury, I mean, look—I mean, you know—you have a twenty-eight thirty-seven record. Four seasons, and supposedly you have, you know, uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You know, I'm not a big Kyler Murray fan, but um, after four seasons in any sport now, Chris, you can't be 10 games under 500. So it's just, you know, call it unfair, fair. That's how it works these days. Um, so uh, I don't know if we'll be seeing more coming, but um, those really didn't shock me. Bob, uh, we'll talk more about this, as you mentioned a moment ago, when we get with Tony and our five-star picks of the week. But Brock Purdy has started five games for the 49ers. Now, remember, he was Mr. Irrelevant, the very last player picked in the draft back in April. In those five starts, 5-0, and completed 69% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, only two picks. If he had enough passing attempts to qualify, his passer rating of 119 would be topped in the league by a lot. Pat Mahomes yeah. and Tua are both right there around 105. Is Purdy a budding superstar, or is uh, is he going to strike midnight on Cinderella now that we're in the playoffs? I think of him, Chris, as one of those guys in the system that he's in and in an ideal system, he would be good. Um, I, I'm not going to get him to a mediocre team, and he's not going to you know, bring that team to the promised land on his shoulders. Not he doesn't have that kind of talent. Ah, uh, you know I'll. Uh, I I wouldn't put him in that category of you know just your, your your game plan just a ranger. But I mean he's one of those guys that in this system without making mistakes and with those weapons around him we mentioned guys like Uzcheck and McCaffrey, Kittle. I mean these guys he's surrounded by good things. If he doesn't make mistakes, Chris, um, and guides them like he's been doing, uh, they're going to be fine. Uh, but he's in a perfect position right now. That is the perfect place for him. Um, but I wouldn't put him in that superstar, or I don't think he'll ever be a superstar. But uh, he's having his time now because ideal situation, very good offensive coach. So let me take that a step further with you, Bob. Just get your get your thought real quick. Jimmy Garoppolo might be healthy as we get into further into the playoffs, deeper into January. I know the Dolphins did this with Earl Morrow back in 1972, and it drove me nuts. I felt so bad for Morrow mm-hmm. when they put Greasy back in after Morrow led him to all those wins and kept that perfect season going. If if Jimmy G's healthy, you sticking with Purdy? I think I would. Uh, you got to go with the hot hand, and it, he, he's giving you no reason to take him out. I mean, I put Garoppolo kind of in that same category, Chris. You know, more of a game manager, not going to win the team, not going to win the game on his shoulders. You know, he's not that kind of dynamic player or athlete in general. 
So, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I stick with Purdy unless, you know, if he had an awful, awful half or, you know, throws two picks in a quarter and you could see, you know, the Cinderella thing coming to a close, then you might think about making a move. I think the fans would demand it, Chris, but, uh, at this reason, you, you gotta go with Purdy right now. Cannot argue with the record. Moving on to the Bucks. They, they've made the playoffs with an eight and nine record loss last week, but really had nothing to play for because they had already locked up the number four seed. The 12 and five Cowboys get the Bucks this week in Tampa Bay. The, the Cowboys are coming off a bad loss to the Commanders where, you know, had the Eagles lost, the Cowboys might have been playing for the number one seed. But, uh, again, we'll talk about it with Tony, but your thoughts. Do the Bucks have a puncher's chance? To win this game, especially with Tom Brady and that offense looking like maybe they figured this thing out? I think they absolutely do, Chris, and, and, and that's the reason why you said no, neither one of these, well, they're two of the biggest puzzles of the entire year. I mean, we talk about Minnesota being the, you know, the worst 13 and 14 year, but Dallas has got to be close at 12 and 5. I mean, one week they show up, they look dynamic. You know, Dak Prescott led the league in his sex. Chris, I mean, it's one of those years where you don't know. Now they're going down to Tampa. Brady's days in Tampa might be numbered. You know, you're, you're talking maybe a swan song here. And, you know, the bottom we said all year long, he has the weapon. It's just a matter of, you know, they got to put him together. I, I don't know if this is the week. You saw it a couple weeks ago with gaudy statistics on Brady's part. Are they capable of that? Again, absolutely. And uh, I think this might be the week, but we'll get to it in a minute. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to take the Brady idea a little bit further with you, Bob, because obviously Tua now is, I, I'm not even sure what number of concussions he's on. I think it's three this season, but I think he might have had a couple more when he was at Alabama. When you think about teams that are a quarterback away, and I, I thought it was funny the Jets are saying they're, they're only a quarterback away and willing to spend money this offseason to bring in another quarterback. Um, could you see Brady? leaving Tampa Bay, continuing his career, first of all, and we've talked to Tony about this, and, you know, Brady has said throughout the, the last few years he wants to play until he's 50. Can you see him moving on, going to a Miami or a, to a Jets team that thinks they're only a quarterback away? Well, you know, I I I don't see him going too much farther with Tampa Bay, because, I mean, you know, Arians was an offensive mind. Uh, Bowles is not. Um, you know, Leftwich is an offensive coordinator. They might have had their time together, but, you know, interesting people are thinking, well, from what you hear a couple of weeks ago, you know, the insiders are saying he's close to retiring again. Well, we went through that already. So, you know, he may say in March, and guess what? I feel good. But, you know, interesting would be uh, like a, a landing spot would be like for, for uh, the Raiders, Chris, because of uh, McDaniels, his old coordinator, right? He's a California guy. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but you know Brady, wherever he's going, it's got to have to be a win now type team. So, um, but you know that's kind of up in the air. But I, I just you know like to see him. You know I don't think he'll go out this week. You know I think he's still going to go out. I, they're not a Super Bowl winning team, but uh, I, I think they're still dangerous. Yeah, I mean, and I certainly don't want to get too much under the peeking too much under the tent for our time with Tony. But to your point about uh, is it time for him to go out? First of all, I, I'm not sold that the Cowboys can go in there and beat them. And again, we'll talk about it with Tony. But it would seem like that the Bucks are a team, you know, with Mike Evans, three touchdowns, 200 plus yards a couple of weeks ago. Didn't play last week because it didn't matter. And, and Brady didn't get in there at all, you know, very much either. So I, you know, I don't think last week tells us anything about where the Bucks are at, but I think 
he and Mike Evans seem like they're starting to click and, and found each other once again. So I, I think they've got an excellent opportunity to go in there and beat Dallas, you know, be at home and beat Dallas. I, I like the, I like their chances, Bob. And to your point about Dak, I think Dak has had a, had a tough season. I you know, only a hundred plus yards last week against the commanders, lose the commanders by 20 when you have an opportunity mm. to, to win the number one seed. I, you know, I, I can definitely see Brady at least getting past this game. And then I don't think he retires. I think he's going to want to go somewhere else and mm. see, you know, who is, who really is only a quarterback away. There's a handful of teams, but I'm interested to see what he decides to do. We always are, right? When guys are, yeah. are they going to retire? They're not going to retire like Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre for you. Well, but it, 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 it's setting up like a soap opera because just like I told you about the Raiders situation, you know, that's wide open right now. And now we're, we're hearing, you know, people over here in New England, Chris, say, you know, we might want to have Brady come back if they're going to have, they're going to finally have an offensive coordinator at the helm here. Mac Jones is, you know, hasn't proved himself as the guy that's going to be here for years. So again, we'll find that out, but, uh, let's play this game uh, against Dallas on Sunday first, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. We've got our first guest, Lane Bishop, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Blaine. Right on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. It's him. He's a All right. Now back with us is former Titans defensive back Lane Bishop. Let me remind you about Lane's background. He's from Indianapolis, Indiana. Played his college ball at Ball State where he was a walk-on. He lettered from 1989 to 1992. He was named second team All-Mac Conference in 1990 and 92. And he was rated one of the top defensive backs in the country prior to his senior season. He was the Mac Conference Defensive Player of the Week back in November of 1991 for his performance against Toledo. He was a team captain in 1992 and he played in the Senior Bowl and the Blue-Gray game. He was inducted into the Ball State Athletic Hall of Fame in 2003. He was an eighth-round draft pick in 1993 by the then-Houston Oilers, played in the league from 93 to 2002, all but one of those seasons with either the Oilers or the Titans finished up in Philadelphia. He was named to the Pro Bowl four times. Over the course of his NFL career, he had 738 tackles, 15 and a half sacks, five interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown. And back in 2018, he was inducted into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and folks, Blaine first joined this show on episode number three. I think we're on like episode 800 now. And that goes all the way back to October 6th of 2011. So a wonderful part of the show for 11 plus years now. And we're excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Blaine, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Blaine. Hey, guys, man. Thanks for having me. One little... uh Hit a bit of information uh, on my bio, which was excellent, by the way. It was good to to hear all that information. You kind of forget uh, through the time, uh, uh, through the years that uh, all that you have accomplished, really, especially from Ball State. I started my career my freshman year as an all-conference, all-American in high school. It wasn't all-American. I was all-city, all-state, all-metro in high school. I went to a Division two school my freshman season at St. Joseph's College. Wow. It doesn't okay. even exist and it, and it doesn't exist today. It's Is that been, right? It's probably been about, uh, uh, well, not as a football program. Right. Yeah. So it didn't have a football program. 
so yeah, St. Joseph College. I, it was the Puma, St. Joseph <laughs> College Puma. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, my DC at the time was uh, uh, I want to say Bill Bates, who was the DC for the University of Pittsburgh. Wow. So what uh-huh. led you to to leave there to be a walk on at Ball State? Uh, I always wanted to play Division One football. I, I grew up. I went to Caesar, which was a private Catholic high school and uh, uh, prominent high school. Still really good today in a lot of different sports. And uh, McLaren went there. It's a good example of that. McLaren for the uh, Commanders, uh, the wide receiver went to Ohio State. Uh, but it's a lot of us, uh, you know, filtered around the NFL. But uh, I, I grew up a Notre Dame fan, so I, I just always wanted to play uh, Division One football. Uh, so I wanted to prove to myself that I could. So I. Went back to my high school coach, uh, who was president of uh, Cathedral High School, and asked him, uh, "Can I play Division One football after I made Division Two All American?" And he said, "Absolutely." So he said I was too small, and, you know, all these things. Uh, I was a running back in high school too, by the way, running back and uh, defensive back. So, I, but I, my heart and passion was at running back at the time. So you go from a small school going up to Ball State. And then you end up in their Hall of Fame and the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. When you look from where you started to where you ended up, that's gotta, that's gotta be really, you know, gotta make you feel good. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you guys just kind of went through the resume. That's what I was referring to. It just, uh, it kind of touched me a little bit that, uh, I put a lot of hard work, had a lot of support from uh, a lot of different people, starting with my mother and my family, but, uh, and, uh, some people were no longer with us, uh, Ralph Dow, who was very huge in that. But, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I believed in myself and, uh, I was confident, uh, and not, uh, cocky, but confident in who I was and what I could do. And, uh, I, I proved that I, that I was right, to be honest. Uh, but, uh, man, there was times there, uh, where I didn't believe that, uh, that I could accomplish, uh, playing Division One football at that time. Uh, just because it just wasn't going to be an opportunity after not getting highly recruited out of high school, uh, which uh, was baffling to me as well when I was a captain in high school, as well as uh, in every level that I played at, as well as, uh, you know, all city, all metro and all state. So it was a, uh, that was a trying time. And uh, for me coming out my senior year, uh, which was, uh, it hurt. But uh, I made the most of it, and then I uh, turned into something to uh, fuel uh, my uh, work. Uh, when I was a hard worker already, I, I took it to the next level and uh, made me work to a level that I never thought I could reach. Blaine, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on your former team, the Tennessee Titans. They they got off to such a great start this season, 7-3 and three after 10 games, and then end up losing the last seven games in a row. Where do you think they go from here? Whoa, that, that is the big question. You know, I, I wish I, I was uh, a GM. I always envisioned that would be my next class of GM. It didn't work out that way. I'm just doing radio, so I failed at that. But, uh, mm. uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, what, for me personally, and I don't think this is going to happen, uh, but for me personally, I, I would, uh, I would start over and I would, I would blow it up if I was, I, I would come in and, and by the way, I, I think, uh, Malarkey, I mean, uh, Brable is a good coach, but I, I feel like once you made the gym change, to me, then there's questions on if the coach can be changed because as everybody knows, the gym wants to bring in his guy. 
And that's why I said the word malarkey, because that's what happened with malarkey when he was the head coach and the Titans were doing horrible. Then he finally took them to the second round of the playoffs. They hired John Robinson as the GM and they fired him and he went to the second round of the playoffs. So I'm, I'm going to give Rabel the, will he get malarkey? And in my mind, I feel like whenever you're transitioning and the GM is not hiring his guy and you kind of, the ownership is going to hire the GM and then going to kind of compare, you know, pair him up with, uh, not his guy. I think that's a recipe for disaster. So for me, I would start all over and it starts with, uh, as good as a Brable is a good head coach, you're going to change the GM. I think now you ask for trouble. You, now you're, you know, you should probably start over and go get it. Let GM hire his own coach. Well, as, uh, I would, I would probably move on and get rid of some of, uh, some of the probably best assets. That's what you are on the National Football League. You're an asset, you're a commodity to the team. So I would probably Jeffrey Simmons, Tannehill, King, uh, King, uh, you know, uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, I would probably see what I could get out of them and, and trade. And then that way, and I would probably have a stopgap quarterback, you know, like a Baker Mayfield or, uh, you know, Darnold or whoever you want to get to manage me these next couple of years and then, uh, try to get the team back, uh, out of salary cap, you know, you know, you know, I guess hell and then, uh, move forward from there. So when you move into the new stadium, you are now rocking and rolling. And this vision is not something that I just created. It's the same thing we went through when we were seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and eight. And then all of a sudden we move into the new stadium, new name, Tennessee Titans, not Tennessee Oilers. Boom, we take off. And that's probably the route I would. But I don't think that the ownership and Amy Adams Trump are going to do that at all. They're going to match Brabel up with a new GM, and then they're probably going to keep Tannehill, Henry, and all the guys that I name and, and probably try to manage through all that when they're $16 million over the cap. Five questions for Blaine. Blaine, it's great to speak with you again, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Cathedral High School because I wanted to ask you about that myself. I, I was looking at the alumni network. Uh, ten total players have gone into the NFL, and we didn't even mention guys like Mark Clayton, uh, Matthias Kiwanuka, yeah. who was up here in New York for a long time, Jack Doyle yeah. from the Colts, uh, and a few yeah. others. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Uh, do you guys, I mean, is it a tight fraternity? Do you guys, have you talked to some of those guys <laughs> in the past? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I, yeah. Jack Doyle, who uh, people originally don't know, he was uh, with the Titans at the time, and they were just really stacked uh, at tight end. I was so perturbed. I said, "You cannot let it," because he was really a basketball player. I knew his whole background, uh, and then he switched to football. Uh, oh, he played football and then got serious as he went on. That's why he wasn't highly recruited. He went to Western Kentucky, uh, and they cut him. Uh, training camp, he was undrafted, and then uh, the Colts picked him up. So yeah, we, we have a laundry list. I don't know if the rest of people, yeah, we all keep in touch and, uh, you know, it's kind of fraternity, not just, you know, just the NFL fraternity. It's really the cathedral fraternity. It's a really, you know, it's like a family there and, uh, totally different. It's an atmosphere that, uh, I think is untouched and, uh, it's just a special place, uh, really, to be honest. And I really believe, uh, they gave me all the tools that I needed to be successful, uh, not only as a football player, but in life. So yeah. Blaine, your rookie year, I mean, came in in 93 under Jack Pardee. That was a very good Oilers team. Um, offensive uh-huh. coordinator was Kevin Gilbride, who I've had the pleasure of having lunch with at, at times. And, and defensive coordinator mm-hmm. was Buddy Ryan, the, the famed guy. I mean, there's, there's, 
there's so many people that have different opinions on Buddy. I, I think most people think, you know, the guy definitely, you know, knew what he was doing. But tell us more about his strength and, uh, you know, how you adjusted him in your real career. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, Buddy Ryan, I mean, it was like he can't coach, but <laughs> the ownership group at that time, Mr. the late great Mr. K.S. Bud Adams, hired, uh, you know, Buddy Ryan. And so Jack Party was the head coach, so he had nothing to do with it. So pretty much it, that kind of put the team up immediately. And when I say that, I'm talking about not intentionally, but when we started practicing, Buddy Ryan pretty much did whatever the heck he wanted. And that meant the defense then did that because there was times right at the beginning of the season, my rookie year, and I'm just learning this as I go, you know, hey, defense, go over here. We we sacked them five times, you know, in practice, not sacking Warren Moon. And we just take the defense and we go through the other field. And so it was just kind of that kind of culture and atmosphere. Then now they had some great players in my rookie year. Uh, I got to touch and play some guys I, I remember watching in high school. So they were still in the league. That's how great the players they were from Warren Moon to uh, Haywood Jeffries to, uh, uh, Ernest Givens, Webster Slaughter, uh, to William Fuller, uh, Sean Jones, uh, Al Smith, Ray Childers, uh, Chris Dishman, Bubble McDowell. I mean, their, their list, it was, it was a laundry list of really, really great in, in the Oiler history there. And that was all there last year. So that was my rookie year. So I got to play with those guys and they had come off that, that Buffalo debacle in the playoffs and so they were really motivated and before the season started uh mr adams you know said that uh, if we don't win the super bowl we're gonna split you know this team will be dismantled i was like whoa he said that in training camp and so, i mean you know wow. i was a young rookie so i'm thinking yeah i'm a young rookie so i said oh that means i'm gonna get cut <laughs> so i didn't have any idea what the heck was going on you know what kind of what i came into and i i got drafted as a corner and and in training camp, there were a multitude of injuries, which really gave me the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I still live by that, that I studied the playbook and waited for my opportunity, but didn't come where I wanted it. But I was uh, given the opportunity to move to safety after three guys to their Achilles, ACLs, uh, brain MCL, and patella tendon. I next thing you know, I'm at safety at the end of training camp, learning the 46 defense. And I'm playing you know, strong safety in that deal, which was half linebacker, half nickel, half safety. And uh I think he put me there only because he thought I knew the defense better than anybody. I was an aggressive guy. And in his scheme and system, I was really only going to be probably that, that nickel dime guy and not an outside guy. So it kind of worked into my favor and uh scheme and system fit around all my skill sets with my background and covering my aggressive nature and being a, great tackler and a smart football player. So I was very fortunate to, to be in that scheme and system and get a chance to play in it. And uh, really probably, uh, probably you know, I would have been a good, real good player in the NFL, but I probably uh, started. In, but in a normal defense, let's say like cover two, uh, you know, I, I would have been a good solid player. I, I don't know if I would have been to the Pro Bowl, but the scheme and system was revolved around strong safety in that defense. And it, it worked hand in hand in what I, I, I did in, uh, in that defense. And, and I'm fortunate enough to go to four Pro Bowls because of it. And Blaine, speaking of that rookie season and guys you probably watched growing up in in high school, you guys earned an opportunity in the playoffs to play against Joe Montana and the Chiefs. What was it like you're, as a rookie going into the playoffs facing Montana? 
Well, okay, it started uh, with, uh, I didn't get to start. I mean, I played a lot, but I didn't start actually until maybe, I think it was week 10 maybe. It was Christmas Day, and I got my first start on national TV at safety, and that was against Steve Young. And I got my first sack call fumble, and we won the game. So I got to play against Steve Young, who was, you know, where Joe Montana, you know, naturally was at in the beginning, and watched him on TV, and then to play him in the first round of the playoffs, which we got a bye because we won, started off one and four, then we won 11 in a row because we didn't know our scheme and system on defense. And so uh Buddy kept saying that we would never go far because the offense was uh, a finesse offense, and when we got in the red zone, they couldn't run the football and get into the end zone. And it kind of played out that way, but uh, and that's I think that's really why we lost to the Chiefs because we we had their number against Joe Montana in the first half. I I literally thought we would knock him out of the game. I mean, because his elbow was swollen, torn elbow, and I, I didn't think he was going to come back out in the second half. Next thing you know, he comes out. We're leading at halftime and we're dominating the game. And uh, he comes back out second half like he was a whole new guy and and just start swinging it all over the place and uh, and we end up losing a. At the end there, uh, to him, uh, with a great throw by him. I think it was Davis. I can't remember the guy who caught the touchdown it was a one hand touchdown. So we lost that. And that really kind of, you know, changed the, you know, everything with the, with the Oilers. Cause every, he, they got rid of everybody after that. They traded Warren Moon. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. it. It was crazy. But, uh, man, that was unfortunate. It was no doubt in my mind we were going to win too far. And Blaine, I'm a huge Steelers fan and I remember what a big rivalry it was. Houston oh, wow. Oilers, Pittsburgh Steelers in the old AFC Central. Talk about the matchup that you were a part of between the Oilers and Steelers. Oh, man. You know, they were the king. There was no doubt about it. So when the AFC Central then was, is about beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and we would double pad up for, for practice. That, that was a physical week and you knew it was going to be a physical game. And, uh, you know, I, and naturally I wasn't started to, so I remember we were playing them and that's when they had, uh, Greg Lloyd and, uh, Kevin Green and, and, yeah, all those guys, man. And I, and I mean, he literally threatened the whole sideline. I mean, and I was, I was like, Oh, I better step back. <laughs> I don't know what the hell got going on, man. <laughs> so it was, it was a little intimidation there, uh, especially being a young rookie there, uh, seeing all that, but, uh, definitely appreciate those rivalries. But man, those were some physical, probably the most sore games. Afterwards, uh, my body than I'd ever been involved in. And they, uh, they were, they were, man, they were great. So that, that was a, you know, and they, I think at that time they, they won them all. But as we moved on and then we sent Tennessee Oilers, uh, that kind of changed a little bit and got a little leveling paying field, but they were still the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that never changed even when we came to Tennessee Titans. That physicality and, and that rivalry to a certain extent, uh, playing them, uh, we knew we had to play our best. Bob, one more for Blaine before we let him go? Sure, Blaine. I mean, Chris and I talk about current play of defensive backs throughout the league, and we ask every DB that comes on. I, we might have asked you in the past about, uh, you know, fundamentals. Blaine, we see a lot of missed tackles, uh, running backs running, uh, you know, <laughs> jumping over guys and things like that. But then on yeah. the flip side, you know, I'm not going to wrap up a guy like Derrick Henry. But I, I still think, I would think a guy like you is probably, you know, watching still a lot of defensive backs. You got to be a little bit critical of their fundamentals coming out of college, no? Yeah, that's something that uh, you, you've uh, touched on that uh, is really a pet peeve of mine. And uh, first of all, 
A lot of guys don't even wrap up, so let's start there. But uh, he's going to knock down. He may knock him silly, but he's going to spin off and he's going to keep going. You got to wrap up and take him down to the ground. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, technically, I think now the game has kind of changed where you're going with all these elite, especially in the secondary, elite, you know, players athletically, but they're not refined athletes at their position. Uh, and when I say that, I'm, and I'm talking about technically in every facet of that. Uh, so you can see it every game, you know, whether it's bad technique or bad tackling or bad angles, but yet they're, you know, the night right size, they, you know, run a certain speed and, and everything else. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of funny to me because I, you know, I, I say, man, I, if I was, uh, younger, I'd probably still be able to play at this point in time just because of, my knowledge and then just my tackling and my being technically sound and, and being fundamentally sound. Uh, so it's just kind of going with the territory now with the guys being bigger, stronger and faster. No question about that. And then they're just not built the same way where you see more injuries now than ever before. Uh, so I just think, uh, they looked the part, but then they're not built for football. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, Kind of, yeah, kind of, kind of bothers me at times, but at the same time, you know, still a great sport. And, uh, you know, we get to watch it each and every week. Blaine, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Listen to your show and follow you on social media. Oh, yeah. You can get the app here. Uh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, 104.5, the zone app, uh, on the Blaine and Mickey show, uh, every day. Uh, from one to three and, uh, yeah, I'm on, uh, Bishop23 on, uh, Twitter and Blaine Bishop 23 on IG. Pretty much, uh, about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Blaine, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Bob and I always enjoy the time we get to spend with you. We hope we get the privilege of doing it again real soon. All right. It'll be a hundred more episodes and then you'll call me back. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I love doing it. <laughs> I love having it. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Take care. You too. Bye. That is the great Blaine Bishop. We have our next guest, Tony Collins, is going to lead us through our five-star picks of the week. We'll do that right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tail, 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 tailgate. Hi, we are back here on Thursday night, tailgate, and we're going to go through our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Tony, how are you, my friend? Hi, Tony. Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris and Bob? I don't doing know if good, you're going to be doing fantastic when you hear how you did last week. <laughs> you, you were right there, Tone. Right there. Two games behind Bob. And then you went out on some limbs. You picked some updates. And now the only thing that, uh, is left to be upset, I'm, I'm imagining is your stomach after a, a one in four week. Bob and I went four and one. Tone, you went one in four. So now five games back with 13 to go. You may have to pick a whole bunch of upsets. If you're going to catch Bob at yeah, this point, I, my I friend. I think I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's recap last week, Tony. You went with uh, your boys, the Patriots, over the Bills, and, and they kept it close for a little while, but they ended up couldn't, they couldn't stop the Bills in the end. Bob and I both took Buffalo in that game. 
And then you and Bob both correctly took the Dolphins over the Jets. I was hoping to give the Jets a little mojo to help me out and get a win so the Steelers could get in the playoffs. But then Joe Flacco reminded us why he's Joe Flacco. And then that thing didn't work out for us. So you guys got that one right. And then the football gods, Tony. Football gods got you for picking the Browns over the Steelers. You deserve to go one four after making that pick. And Bob and I, Bob and I both had the Steelers in that one. And then you went out on another limb, Tony. You went with the Giants over the Eagles, and that one didn't work out for you either. The Eagles ended up getting that win. Both Bob and I had them. And then I went out on a limb, and I took the Lions, who did come through for me. They beat the Packers and Lambeau. You and Bob took Green Bay. So, again, I was 4-1. Bob was 4-1. You were 1-4. So now for the season, Bob is 33-11, and an amazing run by Bob this year. Tony, you're 28 and 16. I'm 27 and 17. I'm going to go blowing past you this week, I'm sure, and get myself <laughs> at least into second place. Oh, I'll look forward to that. Hi. Let's get into this week's games, Tony. Maybe, maybe you get lucky. Maybe if you pick some upsets, so, who knows? So, so, Things can so happen. Chris, so, so Chris, you say we got, we got 13 more games left. That's what we got. 13 games okay, left. So, you're so, five back. I, I, I can do it in 13 games. I, I, I believe in myself. I, I'm All still right. feeling heat, Tony. I'm still feeling heat. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why, Bob. He's so far in your room. But let's see. Let's see. We'll get into this week's game. We'll start out with the early Saturday game, the Seahawks at the 49ers. The 49ers are an amazing nine-and-a-half-point home favorite. Seems like a lot of points to me, Tony. And Brock Purdy guy like Bob and I have been talking on the show yet to lose as a starter while Geno Smith is there also having a career year. Which one of those guys keeps it going, Tone? Yeah, that's going to be a tough game. You, you know, San Francisco's got a great defense. They got they got a great offense. The only question in the offense, of course, is the quarterback. But I'm, I just think they're not going to put him in the game to make him make any mistake. They'll throw the short pass to, you know, the, the running back. I mean, they, they got, they got Kello as, as tight end. I really can't see Seattle beating the 49ers. Um, but I'm going with Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need an upset. I need an upset. This is going to be one of the upsets of this week. I'm going to go with Seattle. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's not going to be a, a high scoring game. Uh, I'm going with Seattle, 20 to 17. Okay. Well, he's, he's got to pick a bunch of upsets, Bob. That's the only shot he's got left. I think he's got no shot at winning this game. But what do you think? Well, you know, I told you before, Chris, I think San Francisco with those weapons on offense right now and uh, they're healthy and purdy, you know, without making mistakes. The, de- the defense is the best in the league. I mean, I think the next best probably Buffalo for points given up, but San Francisco doesn't give up much, and I, I don't see Seattle being able to score more than a couple touchdowns. You know, maybe at, at the most 17 points. So San Francisco, I think they're going to cruise. I'm going to go 30 to 17. Chris. Okay, and and I'm kind of in that same area. I mean, again, Brock Purdy 5 and 0 as a starter, 6 and 0 if you count the game that he took over for Jimmy G when Garoppolo went down against the Dolphins. In those six games, he's completing 68% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, three interceptions. Not bad for a rookie quarterback who was the very last pick in the draft. 
you combine his play with their 8-1 record at home, they've won 10 games in a row now. Defense, like you said, Bob, number one in points allowed, number two against the run, and they're number one in the giveaway-takeaway ratio. Plus, Seattle's defense is the second worst among playoff teams. So I think I think the 49ers cruise it well. I got it 27-20. Our second game is the Chargers at the Jags tone. The Chargers are a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. The Jags have won five in a row to finish the season over 500 at 9-8. and eight. The Chargers had won four in a row before losing a meaningless game last Sunday against the Broncos. This is going to be the first playoff appearance for both Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. Tony, which one of them gets it done? I think I think it should be a great game to watch. I mean, you know, you got San, you got well, I'm gonna call it San Diego. You got LA, all the way across the country, all the way to Jacksonville. And that's a long, that's a long ride. I know they're gonna probably get out there a couple of days early, which they do. I think they should. They'd be they'd be smart to do that, but it's a different time zone. But anyway, uh, I I just like the Jaguars. I, I just like the way they play. The defense is is, is a is a decent defense, but they got they got some weapons on offense. If if the quarterback don't make mistakes and throw a couple of interceptions, I I can even give him one interception. But if he throws two interceptions, that that's going to be a problem. But I don't think he will. I think think the receivers he has, the the, the running back that he has, uh, Jaguars. I think the Jaguars will pull an upset. I think they can do that. Uh, and and again. The, I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think it'll be 35 to 31, Jacksonville. Okay. Bob, does Tony have another opportunity to catch a game on you? Uh, yeah, because I'm going to pick charges. I, 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 I just think Herbert is his time to shine and show you how much of an elite quarterback. I mean, the two teams themselves are very, very evenly matched. Points for, points against, home records, road record. I mean, they're very, very close. Uh, I just think Chargers are playing well, and, and they got those couple offensive weapons that are hitting right now. Herbert's a, he's, he's very good, and I think uh, you know I, I, Jaguars are an upcoming team, but I think it's the Chargers' time this week at least. So I'm going to say, like Tony, high-scoring game, 31-28, LA. Okay. Well, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to agree, I'm going to agree with Tony on this one. I, we all know Doug Peterson can get it done in the playoffs. He won a Super Bowl just under six years ago with the Eagles. Herbert was second in the league in passing yards and he and Lawrence are close in every other statistic, kind of to your point, Bob. But what do we always say this time of year? Comes down to defense and being able to run the football. The Jags are in the top half of defense and average points allowed per game. The Chargers are in the bottom half. Jags can run the football with Travis Atn while the Chargers are 30th in rushing offense, averaging less than 90 yards a game. So run the football, play good defense, that wins championships, that certainly wins playoff games. So I'm going to take the Jags like Tony did. I say they win the game 27-24. The early Sunday game is the two-a-less Dolphins at the Bills. The Bills are a whopping 13-point home favorite, and I'm not sure that's enough points. Tony, is there any way the Dolphins pulled this miracle off? Right now, the Buffalo Bills team that don't want to play. They're going to be playing at home. Miami Dolphins don't have to. Uh, pretty sure they're dedicating the rest of these rest of this season to Hamlin. Uh, it, it's it's going to be crazy up there in Buffalo, and I don't know what the weather's going to be like, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, Buffalo's going to kill. Them. Uh, it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be probably like 
37 to 17 Buffalo. Okay. Bob, what do you think? I had almost the identical score, Tony. I, I had 41-17 Buffalo, Chris. Uh, I don't think, like Tony said, the weather's not going to make a difference. I mean, every time here Miami at Buffalo, you think hot team going up to a hot weather team going up to Buffalo, it's not happening. It doesn't matter. With all the starting quarterback, what are so important this days in the NFL. So, yeah, 41-17, Bills, easy in this one. Yeah, and I agree with you guys. I don't see any way the Dolphins can do much against the Buffalo defense or, or the Dolphins' 27th-ranked pass defense slowing down the Buffalo offense. So I think it's a blowout, too. I'm, I like the Bills. I think they win at 38-10. The late afternoon Sunday game is the Giants. Uh, at the, as Tony likes to say, worst 13 and 4 team ever, the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> the Vikings are a three point home favorite. Tony, can the Giants end the Vikings charade and, and, and do us all a favor, put them out of their misery, our misery, or do they live to torment you another week? I would love to see that happen. You know, Minnesota's playing at home and they always seem to, a way to figure out how to win against a, against a team like New York. They're playing Buffalo or they're playing, I know they probably, I think they beat Buffalo this year, but anyway. But, uh, I just, I just, like, like I always say, Minnesota's got the, the best record for the worst team I've ever seen in my life. But, uh, they're still gonna win. I hate to say it, but they're gonna, they're gonna find a way to pull it out because Giants, have, I just don't like the Giants quarterback. I just don't think he play off the field right now. Maybe a couple of years he'll be there, but he's not ready for it yet. So I'm going to go with Minnesota, uh, 27-17, Minnesota. Okay. Bob, what do you think? I'm with Tony in this one. I, I just think, you know, you corral Barkley, that's their game plan. You know, you just give him so many yards, but, I mean, if you corral him, uh, you're going to win. I mean, in Jefferson, this is a guy that could probably get Upwards of 150 yards receiving easy in this game. Uh, so Minnesota, yeah, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, Chris, but Giants, uh, Giants are an up and coming team, but, you know, they showed a lot of cracks throughout the year. So Minnesota gets by this one. How about 24 60? And guys, these teams played just three weeks ago and the Vikings won that game 27 24 and a last second 61 yard field goal from Greg Joseph. So despite their records, I think they're pretty evenly matched. And here's where I think it falls apart for the Giants. Bob, I think you, you, you referred to it. In that game, Justin Jefferson 12 catches, 133 yards and a touchdown. TJ Hawkinson, 13 catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns. The Giants didn't match up well up against those guys. Now they're going to get four starters back on defense, which should help them out. But you know what? 90% of the money, I read 90% of the money is being bet on the Giants so far this week. And since Vegas never loses money, I think that seals it for me for the Vikings. Vikings are going to win this game 30-26. to 26. The Sunday night game, guys, is the Lamar Jacksonless Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite. We just saw this game last week. Tony, do the Ravens have any shot of winning this game without Lamar? Probably one of the hardest things to do is, is play a team back-to-back. And win both of those games. But, like you say, without Lamar, Ravens don't have a chance. I, I think Cincinnati will be on their game. I mean, you know, I watched, I watched the game last, last, 
we, you know, Cincinnati made a few mistakes, and, and really, the, the the Ravens were in the game. They just didn't, they just didn't have enough firepower to to pull to 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 pull it out or anything like that. But then then Cincinnati pulled away from. Them. But you know, Cincinnati's playing at home without Lamar. I think it's going to be another blowout. We're, we're going to go like forty-seven to seventeen. Wow, forty-seven to seventeen. There's a Tony Collins blowout special of the week. Bob, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about it before, Chris. I, I don't think it's going to be that close. And, you know, this is a problem with a running quarterback. And, you know, you pay him a gazillion dollars if you can't count on him to be around in the playoffs. He's always going to be hurt. Um, so, I, yeah, Cincinnati, they're just going to cruise in this game. Twelve and a, I mean, you have a team like Baltimore, 12 and a half points without Lamar, 25 with him. I mean, they can't win without him. So, Cincinnati, 34 16. And guys, I feel the same way. Much like the Dolphins going to Buffalo, the Ravens going into this game with almost no weapons or ability to score points. In their last six games, the most points they've scored is 17. The Bengals, like we say, just beat them 27-16 last week. They're right back to the same stadium, going to be the same result. Now, the Ravens did rest Mark Andrews and J.K. Dobbins last week, so they may have a little more offense this week. But whether it's Tyler Huntley or Anthony Brown at quarterback, it's just it's just not going to be enough. They can't match up with Burrow, Mixon, and, and Jamar Chase. So I'm taking the Bengals as well. I like them 30 to 16. The last game of the week is the Monday Nighter, fellas. Dallas at Tampa Bay. The Cowboys are a two and a half point road favorite. Tony, can Tom Brady muster up some magic and get the Bucks a win? Man, I watched the Cowboys play last week and they looked really bad. I don't know if they're trying to win or I, I think they were trying to win, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was bad. And you know, you got Tom Brady, which he shouldn't be playing anymore. But he's still playing. They're going to Tampa Bay, which I, I don't think is fair, but see, that's, that's the rule. But, uh, I don't know, man. I, for some reason, my, my heart is telling me to go with Tom Brady. So, for the close game. Bob, what do you think? Well, Chris, I think I alluded to it previously. I, I think Tampa Bay, you know, this is a team that can't score with Dallas. If you look at the regular season, their defenses are very e- equivalent. But uh, but I think just Brady at this point uh, wants to extend his time in Tampa Bay. The weapons finally that he has are all going to kind of come together this week. And after this game, you know, they're going to probably be calling for Mike McCarthy's neck. So I, I just see Tampa Bay somehow pulling it off at home and Brady having a game. Um, so I'm going to say 30-21 Tampa. Okay. And guys, I was surprised, Tony, to your point, that the Cowboys went into last week's game against the Commanders and just looked so bad. Dak only threw for 128 yards and got outplayed by Sam Howe of the Commanders. Cowboys couldn't run the football. Commanders run for 151 yards. And meanwhile, like we talked about at the top of the show, Bob, Tom Brady and Mike Evans seem to rediscovered each other, at least for one game, when Evans 10 catches, 207, three touchdowns against the Panthers a couple weeks ago than that last week because the game didn't mean anything. Since the Cowboys destroyed the Colts back in week 13, they barely beat the Tex- Texans by four. They lost to the Jags. They beat a Jalen Hurstless Eagles team by six and gave up 34 in that game. They got a win following week and then lose to the commanders by 20 that tells me if brady and evans can stay on the same track and the cowboys 22nd rank run defense 
plays the way it did last week against the Commanders, the Bucks are going to be sending them home for the winter, and it's going to be a long, cold one for the rest of rest of that team uh, in Dallas. So I'm with you guys. I'm taking the Bucks too. I like them to win a close game, 30-27. Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners about your book and how they can get a copy of it. Just hit me up on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, one of those hit me up on the, those. What we're trying to do again is one of the things that uh, I've been believing for is getting the books in, also in school, uh, into some of the schools around this area, North Carolina, and uh, and up in my hometown of, of uh, New York. Uh, but that's that's our goal. So hit me up on, on Instagram, hit me up on Facebook, Tony Towns, BWIB. Tony, thank you, my friend. Better luck this week. We'll see if uh, you can make up any ground <laughs> a week from Enjoy today. Good luck, Tony. God bless Take you, care, Take care. See, you. see you, Tony. That is Tony Collins and our five-star picks of the week. We've got our next guest, Zig Fricasse, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Zig right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, now back in making his 13th appearance with us. is not only one of our all-time favorite guests and people on the planet, for that matter, but one of the all-time great radio hosts and TNT guest Hall of Famer, Zig Fricasse. You can hear Zig hosting multiple shows on SiriusXM's NFL channel, uh, as well as This Week in College Hockey. Zig is one of the great interviewers that you'll ever hear, and we are honored that he was a part of our 2015 Thursday Night Tailgate Guest Hall of Fame class. Even more honored to call him a friend because a finer individual you will not find anywhere. We're very excited he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Zig, Chris, and Bob, Happy New Year. Hey, Zig. Happy New Year to you guys. How are you? Fantastic. Zig, how are you? Doing okay. Doing very well. little rain outside uh, the city here in New York, but uh, hanging in there. And, of course, heard uh, just talking with Tony there about Wild Card Weekend and should be interesting matchups coming up on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Yeah, I mean, give me your thoughts. Uh, I, I know you're a, you're a big Cowboy fan. We finished it up. We know we got that one on Monday night. What are your thoughts on the Cowboys? Can they muster it up against Tampa Bay? Well, I'm a little biased, and I'm going to go against the grain and say, yeah, I, I think. And, you know, people are right to bring up how bad they looked against Washington. Re- the, the reality is Philadelphia wasn't going to lose that game to the Giants. And I think they reserved themselves to the fact that you know, they didn't want to get anybody hurt. They probably wanted to play their regulars, and it just didn't look good. Uh, the problems with Dak and the interceptions continue, but um, they are getting some key guys back. Um, you know, they've struggled down the stretch, but on coincidence, too, uh, that was when Van Der Esch was out. He, you know, Diggs and uh, Parsons get all the attention, but Van Der Esch is kind of the brains of that defense. He's going to be back. Hankins is going to be back, so that uh, stabilizes the run D. And then uh, Bidish is going to be back at center. So I think the open, the ground game opens a little bit. It goes against the grain that they're just 1-4 on the on the grass surface. But if there's a first time to knock off Tom Brady, it would be this time. And if they simplify things, get Dak into an early rhythm, simple throws, he gets rid of the ball quick. Uh, this could be a pretty good game on Monday night. So 
I'm going to go against the grain and I'll die hard with my Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> and Zig, we've been talking an awful lot tonight about Brock Purdy and, and the season that he's had so far. I mean, the guy's 5-0 and as a starter, 6-0 and if you count that game where he came in early against the Dolphins. Um, your thoughts on, on Purdy and is this a, a team that is destined? They got a great defense. We, he's got a lot of weapons there on offense. He just talk about simplifying. If he just keeps it simple, can he lead these guys to a Super Bowl? Ooh, that's, that's a good question. Um, the way that I'm sure it's going to be designed is Shanahan's just going to have him do what he's done best and that's get rid of the ball quick. You know, obviously utilize the backfield like he has. And, you know, having George Kittle healthy is definitely uh, an asset for them. And you know, I think it's going to be one of these things. He's not going to ask him to do more than he actually needs to. Uh, that's why they lean on McCaffrey in the strong ground game. Uh, they took care of Seattle was it both times during the regular season. So I think it's one of these things where uh, it, it is tough to beat a team three times in one year. But uh, with the track being probably a bit slow, uh, I, I like the Niners. Their defense is just too strong here. So with Purdy, I think they just, you know, keep what they do. You know, not ask him to throw 40 to 50 times a game. Do what he does, establish the run, complement that. So uh, I think San Francisco can make a run. I, I've, I've said all along, I think their their defense is definitely Super Bowl caliber. There's no question about that. Zig, we're all old enough to remember the 72 Dolphins in that perfect season and, and Earl Morrill who came in early in that season when Greasy went down with the ankle injury and he led him through the, the, all the rest of the games, you know, to finish out that perfect season and go into the playoffs. And then when Greasy was healthy, they stuck him right back in there. Shula goes back to Greasy. Can you imagine a scenario in, in San Francisco at this point? If Jimmy G is healthy, do you stick him back in there if you get to a later in the division round or an NFC championship game, or is this Brock Purdy's job now? That is a great question, Chris. And for historical context, um, Don Shula went back to uh, Bob Greasy. That was the AFC championship game against Pittsburgh because they were struggling mightily in terms of being able to move the ball and Don even or Don even said to Earl, "I got to make a change here." Bob comes in, and all of a sudden things started to spark. Of course, Seipel had that fake punt, which really got things going. And of course, the Dolphins went on uh, to the win, and then ultimately the perfect season in 1972. So my answer to that would be, if it's obvious Purdy is struggling, then if Jimmy G is ready to go. There's no question in my mind. I mean, Shanahan's trying to win the Super Bowl here. So, you know, what they've gotten from Purdy's been absolutely gravy. But, you know, for Jimmy G's sake, he was playing pretty well before he got hurt. And if you're looking for momentum and if there's offense is struggling, there's no doubt in my mind he would go ahead and make that switch. Bob, question for Zig. Hey, Zig. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and happy near you. Happy New Year, like Christmas said. And, Zig, I want to get back to Brady. We um, we brought his name up a few times here. You know, as we said a few weeks ago, I heard that, you know, you hear, you hear, you hear this, but that some people were saying he's leaning toward retirement. And then, then you have the rumors now, Zig, you know, with Oakland Raiders quarterback position and McDaniels out on the West Coast, you hear in New England that they're looking for an offensive coordinator.
coordinate, or it might be Belichick's last, since he's put his ego aside a little bit, trying to get an offensive court. What is your gut feeling of where he is next year? That is a great question. Um, it's, I don't think it's going to be Tampa. I think that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. So if he did decide to play, well, geez, um, you know, you're, all, you're all always going to have, uh, you know, a link with Sean Payton and Tom Brady. I mean, do they both tandem up in Miami? Although I doubt the Dolphins would get rid of Mike McDaniel after just one year. But again, this is the NFL, so stranger things have happened. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Vegas is a possibility. I lived there 16 years, and uh, you, people out there, they want headline entertainment. And quite frankly, you know, that that was almost a done deal a couple of years ago uh, when, when Brady and Grock were to go to the Raiders, but I guess Gruden poo-pooed it at the last minute. So uh, does Mark Davis revisit that? I think that's a possibility. I, I doubt it's, you know, going back to San Francisco because, quite frankly, you know, now you've got Purdy who played so well. And, oh, by the way, you still have the guy that you paid a boatload of draft picks for in Trey Lance. you got to see what you ultimately have in him. So I think in the end uh, it, it might be Vegas or Miami probably if Tom Brady does play another season. And speaking of New England, Zig, uh, up here, you know, it's a strange feeling when the Patriots uh, – finish under 500, you know, I mean, obviously they're paying for years and years of success, but it's still a weird feeling up here. And again, I like I said, it's been announced today that they are looking for an offensive quarter. I have no idea how they thought a guy like Matt Patricia was going to run an offense. He's a defensive coach, and all the glory they had over the years was him on the defensive side. Um, so, you know, I think that tells you, I think that Belichick looks like he's probably knows the writing's on the wall and maybe he said, okay, I got to put my ego aside. We need a coordinator. I got to put my ego aside for now on if we're going to, if I'm going to have one shot, one more shot at a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, what's your, what, what do you think New England is Mac Jones? The answer is Belichick going to be here a couple more years. Um, you know, things are kind of in limbo right now. here. Yeah, they appear to be. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, you're Belichick and hey, because you've been ordained the greatest of all time and all those Super Bowl wins and Super Bowl appearances, albeit with Tom Brady, you know, you, you get a reputation. Who knows? Maybe it's one of those things. You get entitled. You get, you know, untouchable. I don't I don't know the man, I, but I do know that some of these coaches, when they're there for so, so long, it makes you wonder, you know, if they're untouchable. So uh, I, I think Mr. Kraft probably made it pretty clear that he's not going to tolerate uh, the mediocrity, and you know, I, I'm sure Bill also felt a sense of loyalty towards Matt Patricia and some of the guys that he's had on that staff for a lot of years. Don't forget too, uh, there was a great piece on the uh, NFL Films about it too. Uh, Fears and you know, Skarnecchia, uh, they have retired or ha- will retire, you know, within uh, the coming days if they hadn't already. So uh, you got a you got an overhaul, I think, of the coaching staff coming there. I'm uh, going to be real curious to see if Mac Jones is the answer long term. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think you throw the ball that deep. That's an issue. And then some people I think are turned off too, you know, by calling his guys out and all this and that. Is that a sign of a leader? Is that a sign of somebody who's a little bit immature, maybe not used to losing? I mean, he hardly lost at all when he was at Alabama. So there, 
could be a bunch of factors in there. I think the Patriots are a team, um, they're, they're a crossroads too. Um, it'll be interesting to see too if, you know, McCourty and also, uh, Matthew Slater, two great guys, two class acts, two champs, if they wind up retiring, that is a huge player leadership void. So I still think the component pieces are there for a competitive defense, but it's obvious that uh, the offense needs a lot of work up there in Foxborough. Zig, I want to get your thoughts on the national championship game from Monday night. I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing it was the worst-case scenario for the NCAA and ESPN, people turning the game off at halftime, going to bed. And I know Ohio State, they, they gave Georgia all they could handle in the semifinal game, but when you really look at the last several years, Cincinnati and Michigan both get blown out in the semifinals by Alabama and Georgia last year. 2020, LSU beats Clemson by 17 in the title game, ended up blowing out Oklahoma by 35 in the semifinals. Does this national championship put a, an exclamation point on the fact that the SEC, they're just better? Oh, geez. Uh, that, well, I always uh, like to joke, Chris, that this game was close until the national anthem. <laughs> never mind, never mind halftime. I mean, my gosh, when seeing Georgia, you know, drive the ball up and down the field, I'm like, oh my gosh. The only way TCU would have a chance is if somehow the Georgia team was kidnapped or something to that effect because they, they were so loaded. And you gotta love the story with Stetz Bennett, essentially, you know, a Juco walk on and then now two time national champion. But they've got, gosh, at least a dozen guys are going to wind up, you know, playing, uh, if not more, into the National Football League. And, yeah, I mean, let's face it. Uh, what is it? I think 13 of 17 or something to that effect uh, of the SEC being the national champion. I mean, it's clearly the best league in the country. And now, I mean, what are you going to try to do? You Now you're going to have more teams into the tournament. I mean, and what is it? I think, what, next year or the year after, I think Oklahoma and Texas are both hey. going to the SEC. So can you imagine how much stronger the league's going to be with those two additions? It's going to be absolutely frightening. So, you know, is, is adding more teams to it? Maybe you get lucky with a, a Big 12 or a Pac-12 team, but I think in the final analysis, the SEC is king until they are dethroned. And take that to a, a one more step, Zig. To your point about Texas and Oklahoma coming in, and now all of a sudden you could have a team with two, I don't know, maybe three losses. I get that we're going to have 12 teams in the playoff, but to, you know, to figure out who those 12 teams are with these guys all beating up on each other, you may have an Ohio State or a Michigan who is a one loss or an undefeated team there at the top or a Pac-10 team like a Washington that is now at the top. But you got a, a, a is a two loss Alabama team not not a, a playoff team because you've got a watered down rest of the country when the SEC is just loaded for bear. Yeah, uh <clears throat> that's going to be, you know, quite the quite the scenario uh when it's all said done. Um yeah, I'm sure that's something Chris quite honestly I haven't thought about, but I'm sure that's going to be something that ultimately, excuse me, will come up and I think it's it's one of these things, uh, gosh, they ought to, you know what they ought to do is just have the SEC have their own thing, which they do, and then have everybody else just play for a national title or whatever. So, but, uh, like the NIT. It, it, 
like the exactly like the NIT, but um, it, it's just uh, it, I, I have no answer for that except that uh, the SEC is going to remain stronger unless somehow the NIL maybe balances things out a little bit more, where you know some of the more traditional powers you know, get more players and they're able to build up their programs. I will say this, though. You know, there was a lot of furor because Ohio State got in. Well, I got news for you. I, if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt, I don't think we're talking about Georgia as a repeat national champion. So you could factor that in, too, uh, because I thought uh, his loss really turned the tide of that game. And as it was, Ohio State still almost won. So uh, it's going to yeah. be interesting to see ultimately what happens. But like I mentioned, again, uh, until the SEC is dethroned, they are the big boys on the block. Maybe the 12-team tournament opens up a possibility of an upset where we could see, you know, a Pac-12 team or a Big 12 team or an ACC team actually come to the fore. Because Clemson's been pretty good throughout, although they had a down year this year. Zig, let's talk a little hockey. Speaking of teams that are dominating, the Boston Bruins are off to a 32-4-4 and start. They are by far the best team in hockey right now. Talk about how good this team is. Yeah, 32-4-4, and although it uh, looks as though, unless something dramatic happens, they might actually have their first regulation home loss tonight uh, against the Seattle Kraken. Seattle, second-year team in the league, Chris, and i got to tell you, they've been, they were exceptionally built through the expansion. Uh, young draft pick Veneers, a local product who played in Boston. Uh, they've got some really good young talent and they've actually won six games in a row, five on this trip, and they're only a few minutes away now, uh, from handing the Bruins their first regulation loss at home. So Seattle in their second year has been outstanding, but, uh, I digress on that because they are beating Boston. But yeah, I, I'm a little s- surprised by this. I thought the Bruins would be competitive enough. Uh, new head coach Jim Montgomery, who, you know, has a winning track record, was a national champion coach at Denver, won one as a player at Maine, and he was doing a good job with the Dallas Stars before, uh, he had some issues, uh, off the ice issues, which fortunately he's dealt with. The Bruins gave him a second chance, and he's really been, uh, a breath of fresh air in that locker room. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, who some thought was going to retire after this year, uh, he came back for another season. David Krejci, who went back to his native Czech Republic last year to play because he wanted his kids to experience that culture. He came back, uh, a couple of shrewd moves in the offseason, and uh, I don't think anybody expected this. Now, they may go into a little bit of a pit here, uh, lose a few games in a row, but this has still been uh, a very great start for uh, the Boston Bruins here in 2022-23. Bob, one more for Zig before we let him go. Yeah, Zig, we might as well stay on hockey. I was going to bring up Boston, but uh, as far as teams in the Western Conference, it seems like there's a lot of parity. Zig, a lot of teams have uh, 20 victories or more. Is there a couple teams we probably uh, should be looking out that might go far this year? Uh, in terms of the Western Conference, I like yeah, like uh, you mentioned here, Seattle. I mean, uh, it wouldn't shock me because we saw already, you know, Vegas – was the first year in the league. Gosh, they got to the Stanley Cup final, for goodness sake. So, right. um, you know, there, there's a possibility there. Vegas looks pretty strong, once again. Uh, ironically, coached by the former Bruins coach, Bruce Cassidy's in his first year in Vegas and has really mm-hmm. done a good job there. Uh, Dallas, 
plays a structural system that's very solid. Pete DeBoer is a coach there. He's taken two teams to the Stanley Cup Finals, so uh, look for them. Uh, Winnipeg, Rick Bonus, who, by the way, set a record 2600th game as a NHL head coach or assistant, so uh, congratulations to him, and he's really done a nice job out there. Uh, keep your eye on the Kings. It looks like they're playing some good hockey once again. They were the two-time Cup champions in the mid-2010s, but then uh, went through a rebuild, but now you know, with Kopitar, with Dowdy, with Jonathan Quick still around, they've uh, augmented that roster with a lot of young talent, so the Kings, to me, are a team also uh, out west to keep an eye on. Dig, before we let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Listen to your shows, and then obviously follow you on social media as well. well I appreciate that, guys. Uh, of course, uh, throughout the playoffs, we'll be on uh, this Saturday night. I'll be on after uh, the Chargers and the Jaguars with former Notre Dame standout Super Bowl champ Ryan Harris played with Denver Broncos, so we'll be on after that. And then Sunday night after Baltimore-Cincinnati, uh, Bob will like this one. Shane Vereen, of course, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, Shane and I will do that show. And so throughout the playoffs, uh, after post games on Saturday or Sunday on Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88 and the SXM app, and then, uh, of course, my updates throughout the various channels, NFL Radio and also Bad Dog and all that, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays, generally 1 to 7 Eastern Time. And then Mad Dog Sports Radio, I uh, do updates for the Mad Dog between 3.30 and 6.30 Eastern on Channel 82. Zig, always a great time getting spend time with you. Thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show and a great member of our guest Hall of Fame. You're fantastic, my friend. Oh, I appreciate that, Chris. I always love the tweets when you mention me as part of the group. And Bob, always a pleasure talking to you, too. Take care. Same to you, Zig. We love you. Take right. care, Zig. Thank you. You got it, guys. That, that is the great Zig Prakashi. Bob, on top of being one of the greatest people on the planet, the guy is just such a wonderful radio host and a wealth of knowledge. Always a great time when Zig's a part of the show. He sure is, and we can go any direction, but, you know, he's been so loyal, Chris, and every time he comes on, he's, he's one of our brothers, and that basically, that's, that's right. what I call him. He's that close to us, but, uh, yeah, it's such a pleasure. We'll talk to him soon again. Yes, we will. All right, we've got our next guest, Charles Minty, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Charles on the other side of this real quick station break. This is Reggie Kelly, former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end, and you're listening to TNT, Thursday Night Tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right, now back with us is former defensive back Charles Minty. Let me remind you about Charles's background. He's from Los Angeles, California, played his college ball at Pasadena City College, and then the University of Washington, where he helped them to an 8-4 record in 1989 and a win in the Freedom Bowl over Florida. The following year, they finished with a record of 10-2, and a number 5 ranking, and a win in the Rose Bowl over Iowa. In that Rose Bowl game, Charles had two interceptions, one that he returned for a touchdown, plus he forced a fumble. He was a fifth-round draft pick in 1991 by the Kansas City Chiefs, and he played in the NFL from 91 to 1999 for the Chiefs, Vikings, Bucks, and Raiders. Over the course of his NFL career, he had 404 tackles, 23 interceptions. He forced two fumbles, and he scored four touchdowns, and we are very honored. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. 
Hey, Charles, Chris, and Bob, Happy New Hi, Year. Charles. Thanks for coming back on the show. Chris and Bob, how you guys doing, man? Thanks for having me. Happy nah, New man. Year. Thank Happy you. Happy New you Year too, to you. Charles, I want to start out our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on the college football playoffs. It, it started with a bang and ended with a thud. What did you think about what you saw on Monday? Um, Man, I was a little disappointed like most people were with this last game. I wasn't surprised. Um, I felt that I felt Georgia was bigger and stronger than everybody else. So I felt the only, and so I felt that was a bad matchup for TCU. Um, you know, TCU kind of bullied Michigan in a sense. And, um, you know, I, I felt like the only way that Georgia could be beat is if you had a skilled team like Ohio State. So, um, that, that was a little disappointing. I also feel it was disappointing that I feel like the selection committee the ball a little bit just by avoiding the Ohio State-Michigan rematch. So they didn't drop TCU from three when they had that loss to Kansas State. They didn't drop them down like I felt like they should have to at least four. And then Georgia and TCU could have played that first round in Michigan and Ohio State could have played that second round, which I felt I feel like Ohio, you know, the, the winner would have been better against, uh, Georgia, but you know, man, it's hard to predict that stuff. Um, you know, Georgia was deserving. So, you know, hats off to them. And Charles, how do you feel about what's going on in college football right now? I mean, you've got USC and UCLA moving out of the Pac 12 and over to the Big 10. That's got to hurt what's left of the Pac 12. Washington, obviously your alma mater. That's got to impact them and their strength of schedule and their ability uh, to to get a higher ranking. How do you feel about, you know, teams? We talked in the last segment with Zig about Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 and going to the SEC. All these teams sort of moving around. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing going on there? Um, I think it's the nature of, you know, I, I don't care for it. You know, obviously USC, I'm, you know, I grew up, I'm basically born and raised almost on U.S. camp. You know, I was born at the hospital right down the street. Um, I grew up where I could hear the band from my house practicing in, in the evening. So, you know, USC kind of holds a special place for me. Um, you know, in, in the pack 10 back when I was in it, you know, uh, we always had at least one trip to LA every year. So we knew we'd get to see our family. So, Having a kid go up to Washington wasn't that big a thing because they, every year they play down here. So now you either play USC or UCLA down here. And, um, you know, now it's not going to be like that, you know, so a lot of that tradition and a lot of, you know, those things like, I mean, imagine, you know, now where you could likely have USC playing Washington in the Rose Bowl next year, you know, the actual, New Year's Day game, you know, that, 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 right. that would be weird, you know, so, um, you know, man, I, I don't really care for it, but I feel it's a matter of the pendulum, them waiting too long to make corrections, you know, to where money is available, the NIL deal, you know, Gavin Newsom kind of forced the hand of the NCAA with that, so they had to concede, and so, you know, now that money is a little bit available, and you know, now that the Pac-12 is in a position where 
some of these recruits would stay home, you know, it's almost too late, man. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wish it wasn't like that, but you know, people will make adjustments, man, and we'll figure it out. Charles, going back to your time at the University of Washington, you guys employed the 46 defense. Sometimes you guys would disguise what you were doing by having all 11 guys within about five yards of the line of scrimmage. But you guys became the masters of the 46 defense there for a while. What was it like for you playing in that defense? Well, so we were playing, um, we called it a tough, call it, uh, it was our, our defensive front. It was a tough uh, defensive front. So we played in kind of like a regular 3-4, but we would move into that in, in special situations, and we didn't do a lot of it at first. And when we, in that season, man, that, that season where we went to the Freedom Bowl, um, we the last game of the year we were playing, the second to the last game of the year, we were playing Oregon State. And we just decided, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to line up in this and get after people. And that's what we did. And we blew Oregon State out. Um, the next game we played against uh, Steve Broussard and Washington State. And we beat them in the Apple Cup at home. So um, that became our, our deal. And then we played Florida in the Freedom Bowl against, that was uh, actually Emmett Smith's last you know, regular season college game and uh we 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 beat them man and and so we found an identity with hey man let's line up and get after people and then once you know coach Lambright was smart enough to make the adjustment that you just can't line up like that and let everybody know what you're doing. So you gotta disguise some coverages and do some different things and that's what we were doing, man. So we made a, had a lot of movement and calls before the snap and it, it was fun it was fun taking defense making defense offense you know they they had to worry about us so that ended up being um, a really great time man and, uh, a lot of good players came out of five questions for charles yeah charles we appreciate you coming on the show it's great to have you and i, I wanted to i, I like to Thanks, some Bob. of our guests i really like to go really far back in their life even before you got to dorsey high school and which which, by the way, for our listeners out there, they sent almost 40 people, 40 players to the NFL, which is incredible. But I like to go back to the early days, Charles, like the different sports you played as a kid, how you finally became focused on football, and maybe by playing all the different sports, how it made you a better football player. Talk about the very early days, Charles. Uh, well, again, man, I'll take it back to USC, man. I grew up literally. Um, right in, I could see the intersection from my house. I could hear the band from my house. So my dad was a big Dodgers fan, a big baseball fan. We would go up to the USC games and I would shag baseball for Ron Dato. Um, wow. you know, um, and, and we would go out there and watch, you know, the team play. And I was a big baseball fan. Me and my dad were. And so I started out really playing baseball. Um, we had moved to Orange County for a year. We kept our house, rented it out, and um, we had moved to Orange County to help my uncle um, on a, a business that he was doing out there. And um, and I played soccer for the first time. You know, that was actually my first organized sport playing. So 
I played soccer and then came back to LA, uh, played baseball. And then the next year I played organized football, youth football with, um, the Pico Union Lions. And, um, you know, it was, it was great, man. I fell in love with football. Um, I may have been better at baseball, but, you know, going into high school, my love for football, I just could not put down, you know, and so that, um, that ended up being the trajectory, the, 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 the way that I went. Um, I got into the magnet program at Dorsey. My local school was Manual Arts High School, but, you know, just because a lot at that time, man, the gang violence thing was really at its, at its peak, you know, and, you know, I went to an all, I lived in an all blood neighborhood and, and Manual Arts was an all crib school, so I couldn't go there. So I had to go to Dorsey which was a little bit more balanced and um you know I ended up playing football there and uh man it was it was great you know um my first year I had to learn that I didn't end up playing cuz I I was ineligible so I had to learn how to you know become a student and um you know my uh senior my junior and senior year I played and I didn't really even start till my to the third game of my senior year in high school, you know, so it was a blessing, man, that uh, that you know, God put me in a position to earn and kind of learn, you know, hard work. And uh, Coach Knox, Coach Paul Knox is our head coach, and he coached there for like my junior year was his first year as head coach, and he coached there for about thirty years after that. So you know, I was I was blessed to have good coaches, good teammates. We, from my, around my time on through, you know, here recently, man, we put about 40 kids in the NFL and we had banners in the, in, the, um, in our weight room, you know, with names of players, you know, Bino Bryant was a, a roommate of mine in college. And, you know, we, we've had, you know, Keyshawn Johnson was there. We've had a lot of success, man. And it was just a blessing, man. So. You know, football has always been a part of my life. Soon as I was done with the Raiders, maybe it, I took off a little bit of time, but maybe not even an entire year. I was back at Dorsey, you know, uh, coaching the DBs, and, and I've been doing that ever since, man. So, you know, football has been such a major part of my life. I, you know, that, um, I'm just, it's just been a blessing, and I thank God of these opportunities and experiences, man. I've got to travel the world. I've been to Japan because of football in an all-star game. Not an all-star game, but when I was with the um um with the Chiefs, we played a preseason game there. You know, so I've been to Hawaii. I've been to South Africa, man, because of football. You know, um, I've been to Alaska to do camp. I've done a lot, man. Just you know, because of this affiliation, man, with this wonderful sport, man. So, um, you know, I continue to do it. I'm at St. Bernard's High School coaching now. And, um, you know, I, I always set it down and I walk away for a little while and somehow I get reeled back in, man. And I don't, I don't even seek it out. It's just sometimes you feel like something is legit a calling on your life, you know? And uh that's just what it's been, you know?
And Charles, I, uh, speaking of coaching and the Chiefs, I, I took a look at the coaching staff of the 91 Chiefs when you came into the league. And you know, you, Amazing, you look at these, right? You look at these names. Yeah, Chris, listen to this. Tony Dungy, Herm Edwards, Bruce Arians, Marty Schottenheiber, and the defensive coordinator was Bill Cower. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go out on a limb, Charles, and say that these guys probably had a lot to do with you spending nine years at a high level in the league. Absolutely, no doubt. I know for a fact that, you know, once you get to that level, man, the level of athleticism is off the charts. So they can plug and play good, you know, kids that are athletes. Man, they can just pull and substitute. You have to learn and know the game. And I learned and I learned that game intimately, man, from a couple DB coaches that I had there with first with Tony Dungy and then with Herman Edwards. And then, man, I was really encouraged by, um, um, coach Cower, man, was he took a liking to me as a young rookie, man, that, that I would understand how to make adjustments and, and get us in and out of calls. And he thought that was great, man. And they realized something in me. And so I was, that was the beginning for me, man, that, um, you know, I was around such good coaches, man. All those dudes. Tampa was similar, you know, and that we had so many really great coaches, but in Kansas City, man, um, there were so many of these great dudes that, uh, it, it was kind of in my blood, man, you know, um, I just kind of feel feel that that's what happened, you know. So, uh, you know, I, again, man, I I couldn't have had a, a better group to study under, you know. Yeah, Charles, on the opposite side of that coin, and and that and that practice, you were on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage from Christian Okoye. What was it like going up against yeah. that guy at practice? Nightmare. So, um. So I had, uh, my roommate, uh, I had a couple of roommates, Don Jones and Greg Lewis, who both got drafted. Don got drafted the year after me. Greg was my roommate. He got drafted a half hour before I did by the Denver Broncos. Then, and they were, he was like, Hey, woke me up. Hey, I got drafted. I was like, great, cool. And I went back to sleep. 30 minutes later, he brought me the phone and it was coach Dungy and he was like, Hey, Hey Charles, we got you pencil, penciled in as Sunday. I mean, as safety, we just took you with the fifth pick, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And then it hit me, man, that you know that Christian Okoye was running back, and I'd have to be tackling this dude every day, or at least I thought, <laughs> you know. So I had never played safety before. I had played cornerback my entire life, you know. So um, I was kind of, you know. A little bit concerned to say the least, but in the NFL, man, those, they pay those dudes too much and they depend on them too much to let you hit them. So, um, we just got to kind of, you know, do thuds, what they call, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with Chris, man, it wasn't too much banging around. It wasn't definitely wasn't no taking him to the ground, but every once in a while, man, we do short yardage or something. But, um, he was like, man, the incredible nicest guy in the world. If all you people that met, Christian Okoye, man, such a a beast of a football player, but just a, as you know, just the same man as a person, man. Is uh, 
you know, just a really great guy, man. So we had him, Barry Word, and Harvey Williams at one time, you know, yeah. as running backs there. So we had some big boys, man, um, you know, toting the rock for us. And over the four years you were in Kansas City, you guys made the playoffs every year. And I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, you got to the brink a lot of times, just couldn't get over the hump. Was was there something you noticed during that time that was keeping you guys from getting to a Super Bowl? Um, I mean, there's theories on it. I've had my theories on it. Um, You know, Kansas City is a tough place. Coach Schottenheimer is a tough coach, you know? So, you know, um, at the end of the year, it could be you, you take a beating, man, cause we go at it, you know, and, um, that could be it. I don't know if that's it. You know, men, mentality wise, it could be a little tough. All I know is this, man. My, uh, third year in the league, you know, Joe Montana was, Right next to me. He was in the, the locker next to me. Another dude, man, who's salt of the earth, man. Good dude. I've never had, I've never met somebody so gracious in having to deal with autographs and just be willing to accommodate people all the time, you know? And so that dude, man, was, you know, fresh from, you know, leaving the 49ers, right? And so it ended up being, we were in the AFC championship game against the, the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo and the 49ers were playing the Cowboys in the championship game. So if we win, if we beat Buffalo and the 49ers beat the Cowboys, it would be Joe Montana against his old team in the Super Bowl. And man, everybody was hoping that that would have, uh, you know, happened, but we both end up losing. 49ers lost to the Cowboys and we lost to the Bills and, um, you know, and, uh, that's what ended up happening, man. But, um, you know, it was, it was great, man. I, I wish that, you know, history was a little different than it turned out, but, you know, being in the playoffs every year, you think this is just the way it is. And man, come to find out we were really fortunate in, Really had a great staff and in in uh, talented teams back then. So Charles, want to get your thoughts on on what you think about the playoffs this year? Chiefs there at the number one seed in the AFC. Is this their opportunity? Is this the year they're going to go back and win another Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be what they do. Um, I I personally think that. You know, that, you know, Mahomes can carry the team a little bit by himself in a, in a sense. But I just think that playoff football is for, to me, man, they need to establish the run. If they can establish running the football, it's going to help their defense. You know, it's going to help keep guys like Burrow off the field. You know, it's going to keep, you know, Josh Allen on the sideline, you, you need to establish the run. I, you know, I, in my opinion, you know, so I think that would take a lot of weight and allow, you know, that explosive offense to really be, you know, the straw that breaks them, 
the camels back in a sense instead of them having to come back every game at the end of the game and do something remarkable. No, you want to beat teams because you're better, not because you pull a rabbit out the hat at the end of every game. Bob, one more for Charles before we let him go. Sure, Charles. I'll ask you what I asked Blaine Bishop. It seems like a lot of the ex-DBs we've had on the show, Charles, are, are pretty critical of a lot of the defensive back play in the league now. We see guys jumping over defensive backs. There's, there's a lot, an awful lot of not wrapping up. And, and, you know, we understand that there's guys like Okoye and, uh, Henry that coming at you. You're not gonna, you're gonna do something a little different. But, I mean, is it is it something along the fact, Charles, that they don't hit as much in practice anymore? Or do they come out of college without the fundamentals that guys like you did in the 90s? Well, um, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed in two fashions. Definitely the tackling is, is not up to par where it should be. They can't tackle as often or as much, but they can practice it a lot more and be, uh, better at it. Um, I also feel like, you know, they're confusing some of the guys with some of the rules because it takes out some of their aggressiveness and a lot of thinking, man. You can't sit and think about making a tackle. You gotta be able to explode and run through people. And, you know, I understand they want to make things safer, but there needs to be some other ways of doing that because it's kind of, it to me it puts some of the defensive guys at risk, you know, because they're absorbing blows and they're absorbing hits from the offensive players. And I also feel that, you know, some of the stuff goes all the way back to seven on seven, man. Like a lot of bad coaching is happening, in my opinion, with you know, some of the techniques and the things that that they're relying on and they're going back to, you know, um, things are being taught at lower levels and they're bad habits. And I see them all the time. I mm-hmm. hate seeing guys in trail position, you know, waiting, you know, allowing wide receivers to run up the sideline and then you're trailing this guy. And now you have to make a play on the football. You can't see the football. You know, you're not using the free safety to help. You're not, Hey man, get on the outside shoulder, be on the upfield shoulder, use your free safety, man. Let your free safety help. You know, we're, they, they, we don't, we don't train the kids in the corners and the guys to play team defense. And you can see it, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm disappointed too. So yeah, that's my point of view. And it may be, you know, kind of like this old fogey type thing, but honestly, man, <laughs> it is what it is. There's a, there's a lot of bad football going on, and I'm going to call it out. Charles, how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing now and follow you on social media? Oh, I'm at my Instagram at Charles Mincy. At, uh, it's just at Charles Mincy, so you can get at me there. Um, Twitter's the same thing, at Charles Mincy. Um, I'm at St. Bernard's High School. I'm I'm teaching kids, man, and mentoring kids. I'm the head football coach and dean there now. So um, I love what I'm doing. I still love coaching, man. And, you know, I may try, try my hand at it at the next level 
you know, coming up here pretty soon. Um, it's important, man. It's a great game. It's a, um, a game, man, that, that culturally and racially, man, it just exposes kids to so much opportunity and love and it's just a great thing, man. So I encourage, you know, to, for people to help make it safe. I'm working on some things, you know, equipment wise that I believe will help make the game safer. And, um, I've sent in, you know, things to the NFL, you know, and they've replied back and I'm making my adjustments. So that's a big part of me. And let's, let's get kids involved and, you know, help create this, this thing and get people back involved and, and let those parents rest assured that their kids will be safe and uh, participating in this great game. Carl, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. We hope you'll come do it again sometime. Chris, thank you, man. And Bob, I appreciate, man, the time you guys have uh, given me and the platform you've given me, man, to uh, speak up. And, uh, yeah, we love to have you game. back. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Take, Take care, care Charles. guys. Take care. Take care, Charles. That is Charles Mincy and, and Baba, a really wonderful cornerback, defensive back in the game, all those years in the NFL and then at, at Washington before that. An amazing uh, Rose Bowl game that uh, that he played in, had a had a wonderful game uh, with a couple interceptions, a, a return touchdown, caused a fumble uh, in the game against Iowa. Had a great career. Yeah. Yeah, very fortunate to have that coaching staff in Kansas City like we brought up, Chris. But And I'm sure you were thinking what I was thinking as talking to him, how lucky that high school is to have him as a coach. Yes. My goodness, you know, I mean, uh, he's he's right on and spot on about everything. If I had a kid like that, I, I, I want him playing defense with Charles. Yeah, no, no kid. Uh, doing great stuff there at high school ball and, and a great individual and lived through a bunch but has come through and, and done some great things, and, and, and we love coaches that are out there helping kids. And I love the fact that the thing you said there at the end, trying to do some equipment stuff, too, to make the game safer. So good coach, trying to make the game safer, looking into some uh, equipment stuff, and then had a great great career in the NFL. Boy, it's hard to ask for much more than that out of a guy. Yeah, tremendous. Uh, we, uh, we just touched the surface with him. Hope to speak with him again soon. All right, when Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more stories about guys out there doing great things in their communities. We're going to do that on the other side of this real quick station. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. Hi, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you spotlighting this? Well, it's probably a guy that we've brought up before or you've heard about, folks, because uh, this guy has been nominated as the Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, nominee for three years in a row, Chris. That's never happened. And it's the 49ers uh, defensive player, Eric Armstead, Chris. Uh, I think his name's come up. I mean, what he's done uh, to be nominated three years in a row is just unheard of. It's never been, ha- it's never happened. Been in the league eight years, Chris. Uh, he now has the Armstead Academic Project, calls it. You know, it's pretty much uh, geared at kids that are in California 
and uh, you know he works closely with the governor there uh, to to target the really low performing students. I mean, he's been known to uh, deliver Chromebooks to classrooms uh, to make sure kids are are getting the most out of their education experience. He's uh, you know those same kids that were at risk. He's purchased hundreds of tickets for them to attend 49ers games. He's provided reading glasses for over 200 kids, Chris, out there. Um, any kind of community-driven event, uh, he's like the captain. You know, they send Eric out there, you know, and he's leader of the Social Justice Council for the 49ers. Uh, he does a lot of, with the Coastal Catch, uh, the Cancer Warriors, as he's brought up before. Um, you know, his resume, I try to highlight a few things of these guys, but uh, he, he his, his is just out of control good. Um, you know, it's, he's, again, he's given over a hundred, I think a half million of his own to build a future Armstead wow. Academic Center in Sacramento. Um, and again, it goes back to trying to uh, foster success. So again, any guy that is nominated for this at any time during their career is an incredible feat, Chris. But three years in a row, man, kudos to Eric Armstead. Yeah, a hundred percent. My goodness. Good for him. 500,000 of his own. That's amazing. And let's yeah. see your point, Bob. Three years in a row, doing great stuff. Good for him. Bob, I'm putting my spotlight on line defensive end Trey Flowers. Flowers has been involved in the Detroit community since he started playing for the Lions back in 2019, previously doing great things up in New England when he played there for several years. He regularly talks with and hosts events for kids, which includes speaking engagements at the Inner City Learning Center. Back in April of 2019, he started his foundation, the Flowers of the Future Foundation. He's got chapters in his hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, and now up there in Detroit. The mission of the foundation is to establish community engagement, promote physical fitness, develop positive values, and engage in philanthropic endeavors. That aid in the overall benefit of kids and youth up in both of those cities in an effort to plant seeds that continuously grow, quote unquote, flowers, for a better tomorrow. Trey believes if kids are given either a fresh start, a second chance, or a different opportunity, they will be in a much better position than their circumstances might have already placed them in. He also raises money for scholarships for select universities there in Alabama. And Bob, the guy just continues to go out of his way to do things for the youth in both of those communities to try to make sure those kids are put on the right path. If they started down the wrong one, He's trying to get him on the right one, and whatever he can do to provide them that opportunity or a second chance is what he's out there doing. So for all of those reasons, that's why I'm putting my spotlight on Trey Flowers. Another great story, Chris, and I think you made you, you brought up the great word continue because anybody could just open their checkbook, write a check, and say, you know, have fun. But the guys that we feature on the segment every week have shown a history of continuing to do incredible things in the community and. Uh, that's that's an awesome story about Flowers and Armstead. I mean, these guys are doing such good things, and uh, it's a great way to end our Thursday. Yes, it is. All right, my friend, it's time for us to put a bow on this edition of Thursday Night Tailgate. We want to send out our thanks again to Blaine Bishop, Tony Collins, Zeke Fricasi, and Charles Mincy for joining us. And, Bob, as always, a privilege to spend uh, this time with you, my friend. Yeah, privilege is mine, Chris. That was a special uh, crew and uh, a lot of fun tonight. Great, great deal. Yes, enjoyed it a lot. Scheduled to join us next week. Please come back and be a part of this show, folks. we got Lee Steinberg, our good friend and a member of our TNT Guest Hall of Fame. He'll be here. 
Vikings wide receiver Matthew Hatchett will be a part of this show, as will Michael Hutchinson. Speaking of guys out there trying to do stuff with equipment, he's developed a mouthpiece that can help reduce concussion. So, concussion. So, looking forward to having Michael as part of the show. And plus, we'll see if Tony can catch any, uh, make up any ground on Bob. I doubt it, but we'll see if he does. Folks, you can follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. The show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook. The show has its own Facebook page. Give us a like. That's very important to us. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages as well. Please check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. On there, we'll continue to update who our guests are going to be so you can stay up to date with what that looks like. Plus, we give you links back to sites where you can listen to full episodes or individual guest segments if you like. You can find this show available as a podcast. We're everywhere on the network, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on that one, too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate right there in the search bar. You'll probably find us there as well. Bob, take us home, my friend. Thanks, Chris. We look forward to next week. And uh, we want to thank our terrific announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the wonderful job he always does with our intro and ads. Want to also thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. And on behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank everyone tonight out there for listening. We appreciate you the very most. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. Good night, Rusty. And good night, Coach Reed. We miss you guys. Take a breath of sin Can't tell the day